um, by letter later on. So we appreciate it if you do that. Uh, the rest of us, if you would, grab the welcome pads that are on the outsides of the pews, fill those out, send them down the rows um, as we go through a few announcements together. Uh, we have a handful of things, but we encourage you to make sure that you're reading the bulletin this week. There's a lot in there again. Uh, but there is a special ministry opportunity from ESL, English as a Second Language. They've uh, recently lost a couple of teachers due to scheduling issues, and they're gaining more and more students every week. They've had over 50 total so far on uh, this past Thursday night. So what they need is anyone who would be willing to teach or even be a teacher's helper if you're not comfortable teaching. All right, so if you would consider that prayerfully uh, and contact Allison Miller, the information should be in the bulletin. We'd appreciate if you would do that. Um, next big event on the centennial year calendar is the banquet on November 7th. Uh, we are told the deadline has been extended until today. So if you were just dying to go to the banquet and you missed the deadline this past week, you have until today to sign up, so make sure that you do that. The information's in the bulletin. Uh, ladies, at the top of the back page of the bulletin, you can read about the side-to-side -side mentoring ministry and ways to get involved there. You'll notice in the bulletin when you read it later that there is a fall Bible conference pamphlet in there. So uh, plan to attend that and, and read through that information. We have a new directory coming out soon, and sign-ups begin today, so you can uh, see whoever's out in the narthex for that, uh, so make sure you begin signing up for that. And then just a couple of body life things. Uh, you continue to pray for Dr. Jerry. Uh, he came home from the hospital on Tuesday, but continue to pray for him to regain his strength. And then Tom Shiko's dad went home to be with the Lord last night around dinner time, so if you'd be praying for Tom and the family, we would appreciate that. Would you join me as we commit our morning to the Lord in prayer together? Our great and gracious God, we thank you that you allow us to, to speak with you. We thank you that we can call you Father, that we can call you Daddy. And we come to you this morning in recognition of who you are, that you are both God and you are our Father. And we are grateful. We are grateful for who you are and who you are in our lives. And so as we enter this time of corporate worship this morning, our God, we pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and truth, that you would help us to put aside the distractions that the evil one wants to uh, use to keep our eyes and our minds from paying attention to you. You would help us to lift up your name in praise, that you would help us to be attentive to your Holy Spirit as he speaks to us this morning through your word and your servant. And Father, that we might leave here different people than we were when we came in, and we might leave here more like your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his strong name that we pray, amen. A little later in the service, we're going to be considering Christ's command to love each other. Um, John wrote in his epistle, we love because he first loved us. In the first part of our service, we're going to be considering the second part of that verse, that he loved us first. And uh, would you stand with me and rejoice in the love that you have experienced from our Savior?
never gives up, it never runs out on me. a moment or two to greet those around you, would you? So we 
can be seated. Isn't that a great song? With one voice to the whole world, hears that Christ is the Redeemer. Awesome. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we bow before you with adoration for who you are and for what you've done. It's always been shared that you are the God of love and you called us to love one another. And We want to adore you and thank you for, it, for, for all that you are. Father, in you, as we've shared, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on us. So we owe you all that we are and all that we will be. So we ask, Lord, for a renewed excitement of your word, our relationship with you, and the ability and the joy of sharing with others of who you are. Father, we want to thank you for the impact that this church has had for the last 100 years in this community. And we would ask, Lord, that as going forth, we would see a greater joy and a greater excitement of sharing you with those around us, with those we work with, with those we live nearby. Lord, we just pray that you would use this church in a mighty way so that others might see your love and your compassion on them as well. Father, we would pray for wisdom and for opportunities as we share you within this, within this uh, community. We think of the trunk or treat activity that will take place in just a couple weeks. And we would ask, Lord, the people as they come would come for more than just candy. They would find a new treat, a treat in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, for the efforts that we'll have at Thanksgiving, the opportunities we have to give food for those that are in need and need a, uh, a holiday meal. Father, as we collect those foods around this church, we pray that you would use it to touch people's hearts and let them know that you're the bread of life. And Father, we think of ESL and the impact that it's making on over 50 people, typically on a, week, on a weekly basis. We ask, Lord, that you'd use those who are in a part of that ministry and you'd provide those that are needed for the workers to help that ministry continue. Bless it and encourage it. Let people see you through the hearts of those who serve. Pray for the ministries to the youth and the, and, uh, and the children through Awanas and other outreach ministries. Lord, bless those ministries. Bless those who serve. Enrich their lives. And then, Father, I think of the basketball ministry that almost is un, un, undetected. We would pray, Lord, for Mickey and those who serve in that ministry. May the boys and the girls who come out to play basketball, we pray, Lord, that you would, they would have an opportunity not only to hear your word, but they would listen and you'd draw them to yourself. Father, we pray for the Crossroads Ministry, for those who are unemployed or underemployed, and as they have the opportunity this week to consider the gifting you've given them, we pray, Lord, that it would be an, a very positive impact on their lives. And for the men's and women's ministry, Lord, bless them, encourage them, help them to grow in you with a fervor for sharing you with others. And then, Father, we think also the, of our missionary efforts around the world, we think specifically of, of Stacy Everline and the opportunity she has to serve with BCM. Thank you for her efforts that she's working with the candidates to raise support for those who have been inducted into the ministry this year and the two that have been able to become full-time already. We pray that you continue to bless her and encourage her as she encourages the missionaries within that organization. We pray for the needs of Marie Guzmo as she collects money for her camp for the needs of the kitchen and the various other aspects. Father, prick our hearts to give to that ministry. We think of those who are in the ministry of the military in areas that we can't even list their names, in high-risk areas. Lord, be with them. Father, we ask you to protect them, but even more so we pray, Lord, that their, that their fervor for you would be seen by the men and women that they serve with. 
that as they're at high risk, they may they understand even more clearly the need they have for Jesus Christ. And then, Father, we want to think of uh, those who are in college, for Andrew and Tim Kaufman, uh, Crawford, as they uh, represent our college students. Father, as they're in college, encourage them, help them in their education, help them remember the things they're learning as they prepare for life. We ask, Lord, you bless them, encourage them, and strengthen them throughout this week. And then, Father, we think of Terry Montgomery as he represents our leaders. Bless him as he, as he serves on the Finance Committee. Give him wisdom and understanding on how best to use the funds that are contributed through this church. Pray for Dr. Riken as he challenges us in your word today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would stir in his hearts and through that encourage us and guide our hearts in applying it to our lives. We want to thank you, Lord, for all you've done in our lives and the opportunity we have to give back to, give back to you. We pray, Lord, you will bless us offering to your glory and for your honor in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jay. 
Your servants are listening. Your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Your servants are listening. Thank you, Ashley, for leading us in that prayer. And um, I trust we all are listening. Children, it's time for you to be dismissed to kids' worship. We're going to miss you, but we hope you have a great time and learn a lot about the Lord. Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 21. I'd like to invite you, if you'll turn there, it's always good to see if you're able to and to hear John 21. I'm going to pick up the story at the beginning of the chapter, and we'll continue through verse 19. John chapter 21. This is a post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I have a couple of introductions I'd like to make briefly right now. One of them is I'd like to introduce you to our new carpeting. Is there anybody here who did not notice we have new carpeting? Seriously, is there anybody here who did not? Okay, um, one. And that one doesn't surprise me. Um, this was donated to us by an anonymous member of the church, and we're very appreciative, and our aesthetics committee put this all together, and we're appreciative of that as well. People joke a lot about things like carpets in a church and how divisive they can be because some people like things and some people don't like. So if you don't like the carpeting, keep it to yourself. If I hear anybody talking about the carpeting, I'm going to call you on the carpet, and I don't want you to do that. Now, we're grateful to the Lord for his provision, and uh, Robert Harding and his committee, thank you very, very much. Uh, the second introduction, Dr. Philip Reich, and I'd like to introduce our speaker for this morning. From originally from Wheaton College, and now at Wheaton College is the president. Also a graduate of Westminster Seminary and has his Ph.D. from Oxford University. For 10 years, he was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church. That would be the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. That's where it got that name. Uh, we've been kind of priding ourselves a little bit on our centennial. Whenever you read about anything to do with 10th Pres, the word historic is always there, historic 10th Presbyterian Church. You get that when you've been around for 186 years. So we're kind of neophytes ourselves here. For the last five years, he's been president of Wheaton College. We've been trying to get him here. I've been trying to get him here personally for seven or eight years. And in his schedule, he's here today, and he's got to be in Ohio later this afternoon, and we're delighted to have him with us. His commentary on Exodus, let me show it to you. Somebody come and help me hold this up. It's, uh, it's three inches thick. We studied the book of Exodus on Sunday nights for a couple of years. About four years ago, we started. It would have been ten years if I had included everything that was in here. But some of you may remember I had a Philip Ryken quote of the night almost every Sunday night uh, because this was so valuable a tool, and what he had to say was said so much better than I could say. So I quoted him extensively, probably more than I have anybody else. He's also written other books and songs and all sorts of things. City on a Hill is a book that um, the men who join us tonight in one of our electives will be hearing a little bit about City on the Hill. So we're delighted to have Dr. Ryken with us. Delighted to have him here as a servant of the Lord. Let's give him a welcome as he comes to share God's word with us. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for that generous introduction. I'm just uh, fussing with the microphone a moment here because I don't see the green light coming on. There we go. Just needed to be a little more patient, I guess. Well, it's great to be at uh, historic Alden Union Church this morning. I think 100 years, that's, uh, that's pretty historic. But um, 100 years is one thing, but new carpet, now that's really big news for a church. So I feel uh, particularly privileged to be here this morning and um, just really admire the ministry of Alden Union. Uh, felt like I had a lot of connections here um, over the years, people that uh, worshiped here, including uh, one former member that I'll mention uh, a little bit later um, in my sermon. It, and, and your pastor has been nothing if not... Um, 
someone of great perseverance in reaching out, contacting me, seeing if I would be coming to Philadelphia. So I just really appreciate that and uh, really couldn't, he, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. So uh, I'm here this morning and, and so glad to be here. It was great to walk in this morning and uh, see the missionary board and be reminded that Bill, Bill and Janet Craftson have a connection with this church. Um, Bill was a significant person in the, the life of my mother and father-in-law and helped them host evangelistic Bible studies for doctors and lawyers in Colorado Springs. And not a few people came to faith in Christ uh, through those Bible studies, through Bill's ministry. Um, So just a lot of connections, admiration for this congregation, its faithfulness to God's Word. And uh, such a privilege to be with you this morning and have the opportunity to, uh, to bring the gospel from John chapter 21. And uh, what I want to do this morning is very simply invite you into a deeper love for the church as the people of God. And I want to do it by uh, talking about, uh, really by giving you a test, what I'm calling in the title of this message, Love's greatest tests. Now, I don't know how you feel about tests, but most people don't like tests. Um, My wife and I have been out of school now for quite some time, but every now and then, um, she particularly and occasionally me too, will have one of those dreams where you're taking a test and you haven't studied for it or you didn't know there was going to be a test. I mean, you can be out of school 20, 30 years and you could still have one of those test nightmares. This week I was um, out at a soccer game on campus and I got a text message from my eighth grade daughter and it said something like this, Dad, can you come home and help me? I have an algebra test tomorrow. And then about five minutes after that, it said, I mean soon. And I could tell that she was feeling that anxiety of uh, a test. She wasn't sure she was ready if she was ready for it uh, or not. I remember um, the sort of panicky feeling I had when I took the Pennsylvania driver's test. I don't know if they do it the same way these days, but it used to be that you had to surrender your old license before you took the test. That's a lot of pressure because there's really no way to drive away from the... Uh, the driver's license place, and it's an electronic format, and you get three, if you, if you get three strikes, you're out, basically. And uh, there was a question I wasn't sure the answer, and sure enough, I got it wrong. Then right after that, there was a question I, I knew I knew the right answer to that one, and for some reason, it was wrong. And all of a sudden, I was all getting all panicky not to miss a third, a third question. Tests can bring that kind of pressure and anxiety. I, I remember when I had finally took my final exam for my doctoral degree, uh, just the feeling of knowing I would never have another test ever again. And then three months later, I was up for ordination, and I had to take tests in Greek, Hebrew, English Bible, church history, systematic theology, sacraments, church government. I mean, we're very thorough in the Presbyterian church. The reality is that uh, life is full of tests, big and small, and the most important examinations for us are spiritual, that test who we are in Jesus Christ and who He is to us. What do you suppose is the greatest test of your love for Jesus Christ? It might be this, your love 
for the people of God. Because if it is true that you are in love with Jesus Christ, then He is calling you to a deep and sacrificial love for the people that He loves. Now, before we turn to John chapter 21, I want to go back just a little bit before that, um, just a, a few days or a week perhaps before that, to a very dark place of severe temptation and heartbreaking pain and the deepest agony of an innocent soul. I want to begin in Gethsemane on the night before Christ was crucified, which you might think of as the night before a test. His greatest test of obedience to the Father and love for the people of God. On that night, Jesus had gone with some of the people He loved, some of His very closest disciples, and He had gone to a little grove just on the opposite side of a valley from Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, it was called. I was happened to be there this summer, and I just, just realized as I was standing in that grove of olive trees, this is a place that Jesus came because it was a place that He loved, a place that He loved to go with His disciples, a place of natural beauty where He could look across and see Jerusalem, the holy city. Jesus went there that night. It was the dark night of His soul. When the Scripture says he was sorrowful even unto death, in such extreme anguish that he was sweating blood and asking the Father if there could be any alternative to the cross. And the answer was no. Jesus could only save us by offering a perfect blood sacrifice for our sins. And so he went from Gethsemane to Calvary, and there he poured out the last full measure of his affection for sinners. And if we ask why Jesus did that, the answer is very clear in the Scriptures. Jesus did it because of his love for us. That was the test, and Jesus passed the test. The Scripture says God shows His love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, it says, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. Or again, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. At the, at the hour of His greatest testing, Jesus chose to love His people to the death of His body, to the sacrifice of His soul. And now each of us faces a lesser test in which God calls us to make a similar choice and love the church that Jesus loves. And it may be the truest test of our love for our Lord, not just our love for Him, but will we go out and love the church that He died to save? Honestly, for most of us, that's pretty hard to do. Uh, to begin with, the church has people in it, and people are hard to love. I've gone now from serving as a pastor of a local church here in Philadelphia to serving as the president of Wheaton College, really a role of spiritual leadership. And people ask me, um, you know, about what are the differences? What's the same about that? What's hard about that? And I said, you know, it's really... Being the president of a college is hard for the same reason that being a pastor of the church is hard. There, We have people in the church, and people are difficult. And we, we happen to have people at the college, and people are hard to love. I find it pretty hard to love most people, and some people are particularly hard to love, and some of the people that are hardest to love are people who call themselves Christians. 
we tend to have high expectations for other believers, maybe higher expectations than we have for people who who don't know Christ. And then when they don't live up to our expectations, it is tempting to get angry or cynical. Uh, One place you can see this is in a church softball league or church basketball league. You, You know, the people from these other churches, they're supposed to be Christians, right? And then Somebody elbows you and you you get a lot angrier in that situation than you would if you were just playing pickup basketball in the park. Maybe some of us thought that in joining the church or in some other way getting connected to the body of Christ, we were entering a healthy community, and yet even in a healthy community, we can be surprised by sin. We, we see the reality gap between what people say they believe and how they actually live, and that disconnect sometimes makes it very hard for us to love other people. We have the same experience in any church we attend, any Christian community we ever visit, disciples of Jesus Christ who disappoint us. It can be disheartening. I was just hearing this last week about a man who had been an extremely difficult work situation where he had been treated very unfairly, ultimately had lost his job. It was just a very difficult situation. And somebody said, This, you know, this must be the this must be the worst thing you've ever been through. He said, actually, no, I've I've been through two church splits. So this is nothing compared to that. Now thankfully, uh, you are in a church that has stood the test of time in so many ways. But even in a healthy church, there can be disappointments, disagreements in theology. Some Christians interpret the Bible differently than we do. We, even we, we may more or less agree with somebody else's doctrine, but we don't always appreciate their attitude. We can have political disagreements. Sometimes it's easy for us to get embarrassed by the, the way that other Christians behave in public life. We have disagreements about the way that people do church, the way they share the gospel, the way they worship God, how they connect Christianity to culture. Sometimes it is harder for us to love people in the church than it is for us to love people outside the church. It has sometimes been remarked that Jesus, as the Son of God, has endured three humiliations. The first the humiliation of His incarnation when God the Son was born in a stable, becoming a human being. The second, when He died on the cross with all of its curse and shame. But then, a third humiliation, sometimes overlooked, that community, which is called the body of Christ, which He left behind to do His work in the world. I think it is doubtful whether most of us would want our name permanently connected to something as deeply flawed as the church, or that we would have left something as important as the evangelization of the world in the hands of fallen sinners. But that is precisely what Jesus has done. I was thinking last night, I was thinking of it this way. Imagine that for some strange reason, somebody decided to name a church after you. The Church of Paul Thompson, for example, or just put your own name. If somebody had done that, wouldn't you be a little bit concerned about your reputation? 
based on how that particular congregation lived out its Christianity and how it would reflect on you. And yet, here is Jesus, the perfect Son of God, and He has permanently attached His name to the people of God in the world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. This is a clear sign of His amazing affection for the people that He died to save. And now Jesus, that same Savior, calls us to have the same love for all the people of God which He has for the people of God, and that is a real test for us. I think a great place to see that test is here in John chapter 21, and I encourage you to keep your Bible open to that passage or perhaps to turn there again. It's a much happier place than the Garden of Gethsemane, the shores of Galilee, on this bright morning when the disciples were out on the lake fishing. This little fishing expedition took place sometime after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Peter, who always seems to have been the ringleader, announced to the others that he was going fishing, and some of the other disciples decided to go with him, and they fished all night and caught nothing. Something that seems to happen so often in the Gospels, I I sometimes wonder how these disciples ever made their living as fishermen. It always seems like they're not catching anything. But at the first light of day, there was a stranger there, and he told them to cast their nets on the other side, and it was such a huge draft of fish that they could hardly even haul them to shore. They certainly couldn't pull, pull them all into the boat. Peter immediately recognized that the stranger had to be Jesus, and he leaped from the boat and swam to shore, and the other disciples dragged in their nets, and they all enjoyed the best fish fry ever, 153 fresh fish over an open fire with the Savior of the world. After breakfast, a remarkable conversation took place in which Jesus skillfully and tenderly performed open-heart surgery on one of His closest disciples. Do you see how Jesus gave Peter a test? How He questioned him about His ultimate affections? Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's a question in the form of a comparison, and I'm not sure it's entirely clear what Jesus meant by more than these. Do you love me more than these? Maybe referring to these other disciples. Peter had claimed, you might remember, that even if all the other disciples fell away, he would never leave Jesus. And now, Jesus was testing that. Did he really love Jesus more than the other disciples loved Jesus? Or maybe Jesus was referring to the tools of the fishing trade, those nets and boats that Peter seems to have picked up again. Did this disciple love Jesus and the calling that he had in the kingdom of God more than he loved his former calling as a fisherman? Or maybe Jesus was making a broader comparison, whatever else that Peter may have loved, did Peter love Jesus more than anything else in the world? Peter was being asked to declare his affections. And this fisherman answered with a strong affirmation of his love, yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. He's, he's so certain of his love for Jesus that he appeals to the Lord's own conscience. He, he didn't say, I know that I love you. He said, you know that I love you. Peter knew that he was in love with Jesus, and he knew that Jesus knew that he was in love with Jesus. And yet, once Peter had pledged his love, Jesus gave him a clear and simple command, feed my lambs. This was the test. If Peter really loved Jesus, then he would love the church by taking care of it. And as the conversation continues, you see Jesus reiterating the same instructions with a little bit different phrasing. Feed my lambs, that's in verse 15. Tend my sheep, verse 16. Or again, feed my sheep in verse 17. If it was true that Peter loved Jesus, then he would live out that love in the church by serving the people of God. That was the test. Now, I realize this was Peter's unique calling as an apostle. That's the context here. But it's recorded here in John's Gospel so that we can overhear this private conversation and presumably then learn what applies to us. And I think Jesus, in a different way, asks each of us the same question he asked Peter and and gives each of us a similar calling. Do you love me? Do you love me more? More than your friends, more than your work, more than your old way of life? If you do, then you will love my people so much that you will go out and use your gifts to serve them. I wonder, are you passing that test, pouring out your life to serve the people of God? Are you doing that without exception? Are you doing it without complaining? Well, maybe it will encourage you to notice who it is in this passage who is called to love Jesus by loving his sheep. It's somebody who failed Jesus by denying him. You see, in talking to Peter specifically, Jesus was questioning the affection and demanding the service of a man who had totally rejected him the night before his crucifixion, just a little time before this. Let me just remind you of the backstory to this breakfast. Only a little while before, Peter had been warming himself by another fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And on that sad night, as the Son of Man went through that show trial that led to his execution, Peter publicly and repeatedly denied that he had any connection to Jesus. Not, not once, not twice, but three times he did it. A triple denial that fulfilled the famous prophecy that Jesus had made about Peter and Peter and the rooster. And I think that backstory explains the intense emotional reaction we see in Peter when he is asked for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus asked the question once, then he asked it again, and and Peter, both times Peter gave a relatively calm response. But the third time Jesus asked, it was a moment of high drama because by repeating his question and then repeating it again, Jesus was giving... Peter, in effect, an opportunity to reverse the denials that he had made before, but he was calling those denials to mind. And as soon as he heard that third question, Peter knew what Jesus meant. The Bible says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, 
do you love me? Peter knew Jesus had every right to question his affection. How could someone who had failed to live for Jesus honestly claim to love him? And yet Peter still had to be true to his own heart. He said, Lord, you know everything you know that I do love you. And this exchange shows that even if we have failed Jesus in all kinds of ways, he still desires our affection. He wants to have a relationship with us, and he has a place for us to serve him in the world. Just just let that thought sink in with you for a moment. Because sooner or later, you will do something so wrong, so embarrassing even, so sinful, so against who God is and who you want to be before God, that you will wonder how God can still use you, whether God still loves you. But He does. This call to love Jesus by loving the people of God and serving the people of God, that's not for people who love Jesus perfectly, who never struggle to love other Christians, who have always got it together in the Christian life. It is rather for fickle people who have sometimes failed rather badly, maybe even to the point of denying the Son of God. There's more than a little Peter in all of us. All of us are failed disciples. I I remember one time we were uh, reading devotions at our family table, and it was, I don't know which passage it was, but it was one of those passages where Peter asked the wrong question or said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. And one of my kids said, don't you just love the disciples? And what he meant by that is, they're like us, and don't you just love the fact that they make the same kinds of mistakes that, that we do, and yet, nevertheless, they are still loved by Jesus and called to His service. But we make the same kinds of mistakes. We get an opportunity to make a strong witness for the gospel, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe with a friendship, maybe in a family conversation, maybe at work. But We lack the courage to speak up, and the moment quickly passes us by, and it's only a day or two later that we suddenly think of the thing that we should have said. But actually, it would have been better for us to say something, anything to stand up for Jesus, even if we weren't sure the best thing to say, but we didn't do it. We sin against God. Sometimes it's against our better judgment. We we confess our sins. We receive forgiveness. But the fact remains that in some way we have denied our Savior. Some of us at times deny Jesus by failing to live up to the commitments of His church where we neglect His Word, perhaps in our, our private use of the Word of God. We, we give in to pride, indulge in gossip. We keep a place in our lives still for racial prejudice or for sexual sin, or we abuse even the good gifts of life in ways that do not honor God. And if any of this is true of us, if we have denied Jesus and may well deny Him again, we should know that Jesus loves us. He still desires our love in return. He will always be ready to receive us with open arms. I was reminded of this really in a powerful way yesterday morning. We were meeting together for the meetings of the Board of Trustees of Wheaton College and at the beginning of the day, early in the morning, I was meeting with the, the chairman of the board. And while we were talking, he received a text message. And the text message came from a Saturday morning prayer group that 
is praying for God's blessing on the church, praying for revival, praying for effective evangelism. And that prayer group is made up pretty well exclusively of people who are ex-convicts. People who have been guilty of sexual crimes, violent crimes, uh, and yet God has done a work of grace in their lives. And so we were blessed that morning by an assurance. We are praying for Wheaton College this morning. We love you in, in Jesus' name. It was just this beautiful text message of their affirmation and just a sign of God's consistent, persevering grace reaching out to the lost and then bringing them to a place of loving service for the people of God. Let me ask you to consider this morning what answer you would give to the question that Jesus asked Peter. He wants to know, do you love me? And if you were able to give the answer that Peter gave, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, then you will pass the test by loving the church that Jesus loves. Now, in fulfilling the call to do that, in fulfilling the call of Christ to love the church, it helps to have a compelling motivation for treating our relationship with the other people of God like a lifelong romance. It's going to be hard to do. It's going to be very demanding to love the people of God the way that that a, a, a husband loves his his beloved bride. And our motivation is really the motivation that we began our worship with this morning as we were singing God's praise. We love the church because Jesus loved the church enough to die for it. One of our students wrote to me a year or two ago about his struggle with God's standards for human sexuality. He knew that there were things in the Bible that the Bible said were wrong, But some of those things are people in our culture think that those things are right. And there was a part of him that wished he could just ignore what the Bible said. And furthermore, he had found some Christians so judgmental that it was turning him off to Christianity. But he also felt the love of God drawing him back. Here's what he wrote. I need to truly find love in my heart for the people of God again. Loving non-Christians is of no merit. It takes little coexisting with other Christians, that's an enormous challenge. Loving the church is impossible, but God did it. The language to describe God's love for the church is deeply passionate, almost erotic. The only way for me to have that love is to receive it from someone else. Otherwise, it is truly impossible for me. I think that student was was right. When people are hard for us to love, we tend to think, that they're to blame, that they're not very lovable, when really the problem is is us and our inability to love. We need more of God's love in our lives. I think the metaphor that Jesus used to describe how he wanted Peter to love the church reminds us of the extent of his love. His imagery in these instructions, maybe you noticed it, is all about tending flocks, feeding sheep, The Savior who spoke these words is the Good Shepherd, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, the one who goes out in the mountains to to find and rescue even one lost sheep and then leads the sheep beside quiet waters, walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death. And most of all, He is the Shepherd who gives His life for the sheep. There may be times in life when 
The church doesn't impress us very much when we're disappointed with other Christians. Sometimes, as I've been saying this morning, they're the hardest people in the world to love. But we should never forget that these are the people that Jesus died to save. That's the reality of who we are as we come on a morning like this, just as we look around, as we interact with one another in the church. These are the people that the Lord Jesus Christ gave up His life to save. And now He calls us to love one another with a shepherd's love, to love them as much as He does. This is how we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. And there are all kinds of ways for us to do this. I believe that if you love Jesus, then active involvement in the local church ought to be one of your main commitments in life. This ought to be the first priority when you start a new job, take up a new station, go to a new school, go to a new community. It's to find a church like this, God-worshiping, Bible-believing, gospel-sharing, world-reaching church. If we love Jesus, we won't think primarily about what does this church do for me, but what is God calling me to do for this church? A year or two ago, I was visiting one of our, with one of our students who had moved into the city of Chicago. He was working at a, at a Christian school there, and he told me that he was in a good living situation, but he was going to move to another apartment so that he could be close enough to his church to walk there so he wouldn't have any excuse for not getting involved in worship and ministry and fellowship in that local church. He found that when he lived a little farther away, it was easy for him to say, well, I'm not sure I've got time to do that. And so he just said, I don't want that temptation. I want to live near the church. And I thought that's, that's one of the wisest decisions a young single man living in the city could possibly make to put the church first in his life. Loving the church that Jesus loves means being faithful in worship. What you're doing this morning, you, you've past one of the best tests of what it means to love the church. You are, you are with the people of God to worship with them. I, I think we get a marvelous example of this in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We frequently see him in the local synagogue. I mean, in one sense, Jesus didn't need to do that. He's had such amazing intimacy with the Father, and yet he was faithful in worship at the local synagogue and at the great festivals in Jerusalem. He says in Hebrews, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Loving the church that Jesus loves means going deeper in friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ, being intentional about that. What, what are the relationships that God is calling me to invest in so that I can have a closer connection with the people of God? It means offering our lives in service to others. Peter did that by feeding the flock, by teaching people. Our calling may be different. Working in the nursery, teaching a Bible study, leading in, uh, in worship through music, directing a youth ministry, feeding people who have a need, caring for the disabled, visiting the sick. There's so many ways to offer ourselves in service to others. And each of those callings is significant. I, I love what Martin Luther said. A faithful sexton that is somebody just caring for the physical property of the church, cleaning up after things, is no less pleasing to God with His gift than someone preaching the Word because He serves the same God with the same faith and the same Spirit. I'm reminded of this sometimes at the church we worship in, uh, where we worship in Wheaton. 
Because after everyone leaves and leaves a little, usually a little bit of a mess in the church, I mean, there are a few bulletins scattered around and hymnals that have been pulled out and all that sort of thing. It's the people who are disabled in the congregation who come in right after the service and tidy up all those things. It's just a beautiful act of service using their gifts in love for Jesus and love for the people of God. Each of us has our own gifts to share and we find God's pleasure as we use them in service to others. Now, there's a calling to serve the needs of the world as well, but there is a calling to love the people of God, a calling that we share together. That's our test. It's a test that Peter passed. At the very end of this passage, Jesus said to Peter, follow me, and Peter did that. He followed Jesus all the way to to the end of his life when he fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus made here. He died to the glory of God. Will we join Peter in doing the difficult, costly thing God is calling us to do and give our lives to the church that Jesus loves? A moment ago, I quoted from a student that was wrestling with God's call in his life, struggling to love the people of God. As he thought through all of that, he, he remembered the love of Jesus, which makes love possible for us. Not impossible, but possible. And here's what this student went on to say. God's love is impossible without God. Love is an impossible thing to be given and received by us, but through God's love, He made His love within the realm of possibility once more. His impossible love is not a standard, it's an ocean. We cannot explore it, question its power, or explore its deep. We can only be washed over by it. And when we are so washed over by the love of Jesus, it becomes possible for us to pass the greatest test of our affections and grow in our love toward Jesus and our love toward all the people of God. And my hope and prayer for you and for this church is simply this, that you will grow in your love for the people that Jesus died to save. Father, we pray for this grace in our lives, a growing love for you displayed in a growing love for one another. Lord, this is a church that has been answering God's call to love for a century, and we recognize that in the scope of eternity, that is merely a good beginning, and you still have an eternity for us to live out our love for you and our love for one another. We praise you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand with us and sing your desire, commitment to be a person who loves each other in any way you can.
myself asking the same question I did not too long ago. What is the badge of a Christian? It's not a bumper sticker, is it? It's not a lapel pin. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from your word that challenge us to be a loving body. Help us as we meditate, reflect, and respond to these words during the rest of this week and as time goes on. Help us to be salt, light, and fragrance as you intend us to be. Help us to make a difference. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.